0: building and some of the things coming up last week. Some of you were out of town for Thanksgiving. Some of you were at home crying just because you couldn't handle the Michigan loss. Now we're just dealing with the fact that we're like the number seven team in the country and we're, we're just going to move on and go to next season. All right. So uh, some things that you need to know uh, for our building. We expect that we'll be uh, getting possession of that building in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we, we think that we'll be able to move the offices before Christmas. We don't know exactly what that looks like with Franklin County and good old occupancy. So we're going to wait and uh, have our, our Christmas Eve services here. So if you didn't know, we're doing a service. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 9 a.m. and 10.45 on Christmas. We're going to celebrate, uh, do the candlelight service that we always do, and so we're hoping that you can invite your friends and family and neighbors, and uh, then we'll be uh, taking the last week of the year off like we always do just to give uh, people a rest and a break. You'll never have to set up again, but you've done it for 10 years, so you deserve a week off, all right? Uh, and uh, and then, no, just kidding. You're going to have to set up all the time, guys. Chairs don't move themselves. I'm just lying to you, okay? But uh, we're also going to take off uh, the week of January 7th, probably do a lot of volunteer training, the safety team and the kids. Teams and some of the new expectations and things, and then January 14th uh, is what we're planning on kind of being move-in Sunday. So we'll uh, get in there, get the kinks worked out, and figure out what we're doing and if we like that space or not, and all that fun stuff. And then February 4th uh, is going to be what we'll advertise as the the public grand opening. So that's the week that we'll bring our builder up and embarrass him and stuff like that, fun stuff, you know. So uh, we're, we're excited for that, though. Excited for what is ahead. So write those things down and uh, and plan on them. So. It's, uh, it's week four, uh, in the series you just saw, What's the Point? The Parables of Jesus. We've just been going through, uh, some of the parables of Jesus and seeing what they have for us. Uh, a parable, uh, actually means to cast alongside. And so Jesus' parables were kind of, uh, stories within a story alongside a story, if that makes any sense. A common description of a parable, uh, is an earthly story with a, a heavenly meaning. And so we want to uh, jump into another, uh, parable this week. So if you've got a, a Bible there with you, there's one under your chair. Maybe you can, you can find if you don't have a, a Bible with you. We're going to be in Luke chapter thirteen, Luke chapter thirteen, verse one, and it's on page six twenty six in those Bibles. Luke chapter thirteen, verse one. Eventually, we're going to make our way uh, through verse eight, but we want to give some of the context here. Luke 13, 1 through five, page six twenty six. I'll uh, I'll read. You can you can follow along as we talk about and set up this parable. It says this. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners? were Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Well, that's kind of the, the, the precursor, the setup for the parable we actually want to get into today. And it might seem like some, uh, some weird verses, uh, but I love how oddly relevant this is. Uh, Jesus is, is talking. He's interacting with people and he kind of, uh, references two events that were going on in their culture at the time. Uh, he's talking about a, a kind of a, what I'd call a natural disaster. And probably not a week goes by that we don't have a, a mass shooting, a natural disaster, some cultural reference that people are always wondering, okay, what, is, what does this mean? See, there was a belief in these days uh, that, that if, if something happened to someone, well, it must be because they deserved it or they must have had it coming. And we don't necessarily talk about it, but I think a lot of people in modern day have a, a similar belief, right? They would call it karma. They would say, well, whatever you put out into the world comes back to you. You in some way, and some of us would say like, no, that's crazy, and some of us are like, yeah, I believe that, I think sort of a little bit, but I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it, and, and, and so I, I'm going to say this uh, humbly and, and gently, uh, karma wasn't real back then, and it's not real now, and I hope that doesn't make you too mad. Here's, here's what I mean. Jesus emphasized that there, there'd been this tower collapse in their culture. Uh, he's talking about it. He says, listen, the, the victims in that tower collapse weren't any more sinful than anyone else. The truth is uh, that we're all sinful. The truth is that we're all separated from God. The truth is Uh, that we're all separated from God and and walking toward death and deserve death. And so what Jesus is saying is, rather than speculating about what's going on in culture, speculating about if someone deserved this, where their righteousness is, if they're better than me, if I'm better than them, Jesus is saying, listen, this isn't based on your circumstances. He's like, I I want you to, to know what you need to worry about is repentance. And what you need to know is that there's an uncertainty of life. And he's going to tell this story here to kind of emphasize the urgency that we need to be ready spiritually. And so he tells this parable here in verses 6 through 8. This is called the parable of the barren fig tree, page 626. Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. We've said that Jesus would teach in, in parables. He would use everyday examples to convey spiritual truths. And this vineyard that he's talking about is kind of a representation of God's kingdom, right? We, we know and we believe that when someone comes to understand the gospel, when they understand that they've been separated from God, but Jesus came and gave his life to pay the price for their sins, and by trusting in what Jesus did on the cross, by, by saying, Jesus, I repent of my sins, I, I trust in what you did, and I, I want to follow you with my life, I want to give my life to you, a seed is planted in someone's heart. A seed of the gospel is planted in their heart and they enter in that moment and become part of the kingdom of God. And that seed that's in their heart should begin to develop and should grow and should progress from there. And so all throughout his teaching, Jesus announced and proclaimed the kingdom of God. With his life and his teaching, Jesus said, listen, there's a kingdom that was and is and is available to all who believe and trust in me. It's not just something that's in the future, but now. And so as the language that Jesus would use, he he said, those who take up their cross daily and follow me are part of the kingdom of God. So we currently are in the kingdom of God. We see and experience the kingdom of God, and yet what we see and experience is, is limited. There's a coming time when Christ will return. There's a time when we'll be transformed and we'll experience the kingdom of God in its fullness. And so maybe you've heard this expression, already, not yet. That's the, this expression that we're experiencing the kingdom of God, and yet there's going to be so much more that will be. That's what we mean when we talk about the, the kingdom of God, and every follower of Jesus that's part of the kingdom of God also has a, a life cycle, if you will, of, of development, and their time on earth, their time in eternity, and this process of growth, and, and so just some background for this story. God desires that, that all of us are, are part of, of this uh, kingdom of God. God's desire is to use all of us for greater good, and it's not just for those who are impressive or those who are, are talented, right? But 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 the kingdom of God is kind of like an orchard of planted saplings. It's not just one giant, impressive oak tree, but we all have the same seed, the same mission, different gifts growing at a different pace and kind of achieving different outcomes. And so those are some things we just need to know for this story. One more thing we need to know, there's a significance to this fig tree as a symbol of spiritual fruitfulness. I mentioned last week that uh, many of us are, are not sheep farmers. I, I think definitely none of us are growing fig trees, probably, unless if you are, that's kind of weird, but um, none of us are growing fig trees, and yet the fig tree had a, a a huge part in Scripture. It was often used to explain things and symbolize things, and so in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the fig tree was a, a symbol of the nation of Israel. In the teachings of Jesus, often it would, it would represent spiritual fruitfulness, and was associated with repentance and restoration. And uh, to fully understand this metaphor of the fig tree, we need to know that fig trees were known for producing fruit in, in certain seasons, but the expectation of finding fruit was not there all the time, every day for a fig tree, right? So when you're talking about a fig tree, it's representing this fact that there's some appropriateness of when you have expectations of growth and fruit. No one expected fig trees to be in season All the time. And so that's some of the significance that we need to know for this story. All right. So back to this story, the parable of the barren fig tree. First point of this parable is is just that there's an expectation of fruit. Once a seed of the gospel has been planted, there's an expectation of fruit in the life of a believer. God has expectations that we will bear fruit by following him. God has expectations that we will bear fruit by following him. And, and the first question you're probably asking is what fruit? Maybe you're realizing now that you didn't eat breakfast. We're not talking about that fruit. We're talking about uh, a spiritual fruit. We're talking about the fruit of the spirit. In Galatians 5, we're told the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are the things that should be evident in the life of a believer as they walk with Jesus, as they walk and are led by the Holy Spirit, and as they let the Holy Spirit guide them. So how do we bear fruit? How do we live the fruit of the Holy Spirit? By living, loving, loving, and serving the, the fruit of the spirit are not called the fruit of Mark or the fruit of, of us. They're called the fruit of the spirit for a reason because we have to be walking with him, submitting to him, being led by him so that we can see those things in our lives, things that we saw in the life of Jesus, things that we see in scripture, simple things like sharing the gospel right? The Bible tells us that the word of God does not come back void. And so if we're doing things like proclaiming the name of Jesus, proclaiming truth, we are bearing fruit. If we're doing something as simple as loving people as Jesus did, we're bearing fruit. And if we're doing ministry and building his church, we often say this phrase that we want to do what Jesus would do if he were in your life and in your setting. If we're doing those things, we're bearing fruit. And it can be plainly seen in verse six here that the owner has a desire for fruit after three years the seed has been planted the tree has has come to be and and the owner's looking at this thing and he's like all right what do we what do we got there's no way around it it might make us feel tense but God has expectations that the seed of the gospel will bear fruit in our lives he doesn't expect us to be perfect he doesn't expect us to be on all the time but he does expect something to happen right? These expectations are not meant to freak us out. They're not meant to give us trauma. It's not because God wants to watch us fail. In fact, it's quite the opposite. When you look at scripture and you see all of the things he's done to help us be successful, he gives us all the tools to bear fruit. I mean, when Jesus left this world, he said, listen, I'm, I'm giving you a piece of myself. I'm giving you the Holy spirit to walk with you, to illuminate things to you, to guide you. All you have to do is submit to him, listen to him, follow him. God has also given us spiritual gifts. He's given us the encouragement of gathering together with the body of Christ. And so when you hear that there are expectations for the seed that's been planted in your heart and in your life, I hope you don't hear, "Uh uh-oh, time to produce, time to produce, or I'm in trouble. There are some expectations though, and, and, and honestly, these things make us a little anxious. Sometimes we, we start thinking back to testing and, and things that have happened in our life, and we're like, I don't like when people have expectations of me, and, and I don't, I didn't think Jesus was like that. Some of us like to think of Jesus as like this really calm guy that just always wears white and carries a lamb on his shoulders, and is, is the son of God, and is just smiling and high-fiving everyone, and now all of a sudden we're hearing like, wait, there's expectations? That's, that's freaking me out. Well, here's some context for that. In this parable, the vine dresser shows compassion in verse 8. Yes, there's an expectation of fruit, but the vine dresser in verse 8 says, listen, I want to see this tree thrive. I want to see that it's a, a tree that's bearing fruit, but there's compassion and there's patience and there's mercy. In verse 8, we can see an example of God's desire to give us opportunities for repentance. In, in fact, it reminds me of this other story that we often talk about in Matthew 14 that says this. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it for the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way... It is not my heavenly father's will that even one of his little ones should perish. God regularly extends grace and mercy to us. God is regularly patient with us. He pursues us. He loves us. And yet he calls us to righteousness and and righteous living. And so there's, there's some tension there, right? God has expectations that we will bear fruit by following him. And God is generous, slow to anger and shows mercy. One of those things, sometimes in the extremes of our mind, feels like it's over here, and the other one feels like it's over here, but God is generous, God is slow to anger, and God shows mercy. So when we don't deserve it, God sent his son. When we mess up and fall short, God says that we can ask him for forgiveness. In fact, scripture tells us in Romans 2 that his kindness leads us to repentance, We're not able to repent on our own. It's only the kindness of God that draws us in where we can trust him and love him and know his grace and mercy and compassion. And so is there an expectation of mercy and grace? And is there also this expectation and those two things at tension? Yes. Yes, they are. There's expectation and there's grace and mercy. And when seen properly, the grace and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus should captivate us. It should draw us in. It should compel us to live for him, and it should compel us to want to submit to him and let the seed that's been planted in our hearts and our lives bear fruit. We're not motivated out of fear. We're not motivated out of like, oh, I think i got to do this or I lose my salvation or I think I need to do this or someone told me when I was little I would go to hell and I've been fearful of that my entire life. We live out of awe and wonder of what Jesus did for us on the cross, and we're compelled to bear fruit for him as we do ministry. God is generous, slow to anger, shows mercy. But here's something else I want you to know we shouldn't count on God's patience to be endless. There's a reality to this story in this example that the vine dresser is working and developing this tree, and he's patient, and yet he's still saying, Listen, there needs to be progress, there needs to be growth. Things that don't bear fruit are going to be pruned and they're going to be cut back and cut down. He's saying these these vines are are hogging resources. They're they're taking resources from the rest of the orchard. They're taking resources from the other branches, from the other trees. There's a reality to this story. There's a truth to this story that we're on God's timeline and we have to adjust our lives accordingly. Yes, we can be aware and we can trust and know that there's grace and, and patience and mercy but we still have to adjust our timeline to God's timeline because he's God and we're not. Clearly, in this story, we see the owner eventually makes this decision to cut down this unfruitful tree. And we have to understand that there are consequences to unfruitfulness. God has a standard of justice and righteousness in dealing with people and lives that aren't productive. And so at some point, the barren trees will be cut down. It's just the the truth of this story. And when we don't know the context, it probably feels aggressive. It probably makes us anxious. And so we have to remind ourselves that God is generous, slow to anger, and shows mercy. But at the same point, the barren trees will be cut down because judgment is coming. Every moment of our lives, every moment that we live, every interaction, everything that we do when we face God for eternity will be looked at. And it'll be evaluated for eternal impact. And the things that we do are going to be tested by fire. And there are many things that we do and we've done that don't matter for eternity. And they're going to be burned up and they they will not matter. They will not make the cut. But the things that we do with eternal impact, the things that we do in the name of Jesus, the things that he asks us to do when led by his spirit, the ways that we bear fruit, those things will last for eternity. I want to give us some more context to this passage. We've been in Luke chapter 13, and uh, some of you are maybe going through the journal that we've done this year to read through the New Testament a couple chapters a day, and you know that often uh, these small pieces of Scripture are put together for a reason, and so it's important not just to read one passage of Scripture, but to know what comes before and after that in the context because it often sets up the passage, and so I want to read Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 48. This is one of the other stories, one of the other examples that comes comes right before the passage that we've been looking at, and this will give us some context to be ready for the Lord's coming as we talk about judgment. Luke twelve thirty-five, just the page before, page 625 says this, Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning, as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Peter asked, "'Lord, is that illustration just for us or for everyone?' And the Lord replied, "'A faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give the responsibility "'of managing his other household servants and feeding them. "'If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, "'there will be a reward. "'I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. "'But what if the servant thinks, "'My master won't be back for a while?' And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And a servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. The return of Christ and his final judgment will be a surprise. Scripture makes it clear that the the hour, the time, the day is going to be unknown, but that we need to be ready. And Jesus says his wise and faithful servants will stay faithful to Christ until he returns. They'll stay faithful with their lives, with their conduct, with their focus, with the way they're trying to bear fruit. This interaction also says the foolish servants are going to grow weary. They're going to grow tired of of waiting. They're going to turn to worldly ways, and then they're going to face a harsh punishment when Christ returns unannounced. That's the context of the story we looked at. And so if your head is spinning and you're like, whoa, this is a lot for a Sunday morning. I was just hoping to be uplifted today. Here's what here's what I want you to know. The first parable that we looked at, the parable of the fig tree is often interpreted as a lesson about repentance and the need for fruitful living. Fig tree symbolizes individuals and communities that are expected to bear spiritual fruit as they follow Jesus. But if they fail to do so, there will be consequences. And in that interaction, we see the vine dressers plea for more time and effort. And that, that represents God's mercy and patience. And he's giving people an opportunity to turn away from their selfish desires, to turn away from unfruitful lives and embrace a life that's found in him and anchored in him to embrace a life of fruitfulness, and a path of of righteous living. And so here's what we should catch today as we talk about this scripture. We need to recognize that there are areas of our lives that are are not fruitful. We need to recognize that we have areas where someone could look at our lives, or if we're having moments of self-awareness and honesty, we could look at an area of our lives and say, I am unfruitful in this area, or this area is, is unfruitful. And this passage is telling us that that we need to work to cultivate growth in the places and in the areas that we're unfruitful. Here's here's three ways that that we can cultivate growth. The first one is very clear in the scripture we looked at today, and it's it's repentance, right? The first the first thing that we need to do when we've not been honoring Jesus, when we've not been walking with him, when we've not been submitting to the voice of the Holy Spirit, when we've not been bearing fruit, we've just been running around and doing our own thing and being lazy and, and, and just ignoring what God wants from our lives. When we're made aware of that, when we see that, we need to repent. Repentance can be a a thing that happens at a point in our life when we say, Jesus, I I never knew how far I was from you. I never knew how much I needed you, and I'm turning my life to you. I'm giving my attention to you, and I'm walking towards you. There there may be people in the room who have never repented, who've never realized they've been running away from Jesus and doing their own thing. Their lives have been unfruitful, and they would say, Jesus, I want to walk towards you. I want to walk with you. I want to listen to you. I want to submit to you. And there may be people in the room that would say they— at one point in their life turned and were, were facing Jesus, and then they got distracted, and then they began to wonder. And, and now, this morning, they would look at their life and say, I'm in a season where I, I look back at the last year or the last six months, or I look at this relationship, or I look at where I've been since college, or I look at where I've been for my adult life, or, or, or this, this last couple months, and, and I am not bearing fruit. I am not living righteously. I am not walking with Jesus. I'm not submitting to the Holy Spirit. I'm not doing any of the things we talked about. And I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm scared and I'm, and I'm sorry. And I want to repent and realign my heart and my mind with, with Jesus. We can repent. We can surrender to Jesus and we can say, Jesus, lead me and let me walk with you. That's one of the ways that we can cultivate growth. Another way is, is much more simple than that. Just time with Jesus, time in, in his word, time praying to him and talking to him. If you would say that you're walking with Jesus, if you would say that you are a follower of his, that means that you, you want to try to have his character and live his ways rather than your own ways. And the best way to know the character of Jesus is to study the life of Jesus. The best way to know how you should interact with people is to see how he interacted with people. And the best way to know how you can do ministry is to see how he did ministry. And The best way to know how you can make sure that you're not distracted by worldly things, how you can get away, how you can take a Sabbath, and how you can keep your heart and your mind focused on a relationship with God is to look at the life of Jesus and see how he did that. To do what he would do, If he were you, if he were a teacher in modern day Hilliard, if he were an engineer in modern day Hilliard, if he were a stay at home mom who lived in Dublin, if he were a real estate agent who worked and lived in Columbus, what would Jesus do if he was in your shoes? You can look at his life and study his life and that will cultivate growth in your life. And the last thing that that we can do is pretty clear in the example of scripture too. It's just to, to do ministry right? To, to invest in the local church, to build the local church, to be with people, to be around people, to love people, to care for people, and to let them do the same for you, right? Jesus gave us the, the local church. Scripture tells us that the church is the bride of Christ because he loves the bride of Christ. And he gave his life for the bride of Christ, and he wants us to have this community that he gave his life for. And so we can live and work in this community and encourage each other, And we can we can use the gifts that he's given us to build the lives of each other up. We can do those things easily. To cultivate growth, we can focus on repentance, time with Jesus, and doing ministry. So this morning, I I want us to just ask ourselves this. Are you bearing fruit? As you look at your life, as you look at your heart, as you look at this last season, as you look at the last three years, are you bearing fruit? And I want us to, to think of this. Many of us uh, have a, a moment that's maybe frozen in our minds in school where we look back and we would say, oh, I remember the first time I got a, an F or a, a D. I remember the first time I, I got a bad grade. And I think sometimes when we look at a, a story like this, we, we think of it like that. We're just like, we're opening up our report card and we've been kind of ignorant or kind of ignoring this. And we're like, oh, good. I, I got a, a spiritual F today, right? I, I have a, a terrible grade. And I want you to know that the, the terrible grade does not happen when you receive the report card, right? The grade happens when you chose not to study. And the grade happens when you didn't turn in a paper in the middle of the semester. And the grade happened when you weren't ready for the quiz and when you didn't get with that tutor that they offered to you and when you didn't ask for help. And things were coming off the rails long before. And sometimes you look at it at the end and we're like, yeah, I got a bad grade. I don't know how that happened, right? And... Maybe now that we're a little older, we can look back and say, actually, I kind of know how that happened, right? The, The fruit that we see is an indicator of what's actually going on with the rest of the tree. And the fruit that we see is an indicator of what's going on with the roots. And so the fruit, or lack thereof, is an indicator of the roots, or lack thereof. And so some of us just need to focus on the roots of our relationship with Jesus. Some of us need to focus on what's actually happening with our roots. Long before a tree bears fruit, it's developing its root system. Long before we see anything above the the soil, right? That tree is developing a root system that is just as big as the tree that you see above ground. And so some of us just need to repent, to spend time with Jesus, to do ministry and work on our roots. Because a a tree never sets out to say like, all right, I'm going to bear fruit, right? A, A tree just takes in nutrients, takes in nutrients and takes in nutrients all year. And there are moments of growth. There are moments when fruit comes to the surface but the tree's not really in control of that, right? It just kind of happens. It just has one job, take in nutrients, take in nutrients, take in nutrients. They say that you can actually only see growth on a tree like 6 weeks out of the year, right? And sometimes you look back at trees and you see these rings when they cut them down. It's like, oh, it didn't grow a lot that year. There there are good years and there are bad years, and yet a tree just has its one job, take in nutrients, take in nutrients, take in nutrients to those roots. And in due time, due process, there's there's going to be fruit that's going to be produced. The tree's not completely in charge of that. It just kind of happens, right? It's the same for for you and I. We spend time with Jesus. We spend time being developed in his church. We walk with him. We're repentant. We keep our minds and our hearts and our eyes on him. And he's going to produce fruit in our lives. We don't really control that. We don't really know what happens. It's not like you can say, I'm going to have my most fruitful year ever and I'm going to be awesome for the next decade. But we take in nutrients and we spend time with Jesus 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 and we build our root system and we trust that there will be fruit in due time. God is patient as we grow. But he expects us to bear fruit as we follow him. There's our our big idea for this morning. God is patient as we grow. We don't need to be freaked out and and, and forget that he is patient and merciful and full of grace. But Jesus was very clear that God has an expectation for the seed that's been planted in our hearts. When we're in the kingdom of God, he wants us to grow. He wants us to bear fruit. And to do that, we need to pull in nutrients, pull in nutrients and spend time with him. If you want to talk to someone today, about what it means for a seed to be planted in your heart, what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus today, I would love to talk to you at the Next Steps table after this service. And maybe if you've been having your eyes taken off Jesus, you've been distracted, you've had a season where there hasn't been fruit, spend these next moments as we worship and as we respond Realigning your heart with Jesus. Spend your, spend your moment repenting and say, Jesus, my, my eyes and my attention have been elsewhere. You, you have my attention. If you need to kneel where you're at, if you need to pray with someone back at the prayer table, spend some time singing to God, worshiping to God, saying, Jesus, you have my heart. Jesus, I want you to build my roots. I want to be anchored in you, and I want to bear fruit for you. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that sometimes we just need a little bit of truth, we need a little bit of wake-up call, and Lord, this passage is definitely that. Lord, thank you that you are patient, thank you that you are gracious, thank you that you are are loving, and and Lord, yet you've planted a seed and you want us to grow. So when our eyes are off you, when our attention is off of you, help us to be repentant. Help us to pursue time with you and help us to do ministry and be anchored in your church, Lord. We're going to mess up. We're going to have moments where we aren't growing. And and yet, Lord, we want to submit to you, to follow you and be fruitful for you, Lord. We mentioned it last week. We want to have long obedience in the same direction. We'll look back and there will be ups and downs, but there will be consistent fruit as we follow you and submit to you, God. Guide us, draw us to you as we worship and as we respond now. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.